Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the seventh part of our summer series with our special speaker, Amy Wolfram. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9, it says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the swords. And I, even I, am the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the winds. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Today, we're going to talk about how I need a new lens. Can we just give it up for the worship team, for the Holy Spirit? If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, you guys can take a seat. Um, We haven't had the pleasure of meeting. My name is Amy, and I have the privilege of being the worship team lead here at Kingdom Church. (laughs) Um, And I just love this house. I love this church. I love the people in this house. Um, Pastor Harrison and Christy, our lead pastors, are in Calgary this weekend. Um, So they send their love. They're not here today. Um, But I'm just so, I'm so grateful to be under leadership, Um, just like godly leadership. Uh, Pastor Harrison and Christy have just been such um, a monumental part of my life in the last like four years that I've known them. Uh, So I'm just so thankful to be part of this house. And so I'm just so thankful to even have the privilege of just even coming and and speaking to you guys this morning. So, you guys ready to go? Okay, let's go. So, have you seen those optical illusions? Yeah, so you have. So, um, so I'm a teacher. So, if you know this part time, so sometimes my teacherness comes out. It's just going to come out. Um, but I always uh, sometimes do some activities with my kids. And one of the books that we read, uh, we kind of look at optical illusions. And the thing about optical illusions is that it's actually like your brain is tricking you into thinking you're seeing something that isn't there right? What you're perceiving is not actually what you're seeing. So I have a few for you today just to test out um, your skills. So the first one we're going to put up. Um, How many legs do you think this elephant has? So here's the thing. When I look on the internet, it says four. I don't see four, but apparently that's four. So, but you're going to see our brain. I like when I look at it, I can kind of see the four. When you like look and you have to almost like look back, but I think there's seven, but it's just the way the brain works. Okay, what about the next one? What animal do you think this is? <laughs> so this is a this is a book I read with my kids. It's called Duck Rabbit, and the idea is on each page the duck or the rabbit is doing an activity, and whatever way you look at it is what you think is happening. So I'm looking at the same thing as everybody else, but we're all seeing different things. Today we're going to talk about perception. 
and how we perceive the world around us. So perception, when you look it up, it's defined as a way of regarding, understanding, or interpreting something, a mental impression. So our perception is actually how we take in the world around us. The question I have, is our perception always correct? Do we always see things clearly? So there's actually a relationship between our perception, how we see things, and reality. So I was looking at some scientific studies, and they said, if you're extremely tired and you go hiking, the hill actually looks way steeper than if you weren't tired. So they actually said it like this. Put another way, our walking ability shapes the apparent walkability of the hill, which determines how we see it. You do not see the hill as it is, but rather as it is seen by you. And so I think this is the lens we see. So it says perception acts as a lens through which we view reality. Our perceptions influence how we focus, process, remember, interpret, understand, and act on reality. So in doing so, our tendency is to assume that our perceptions are correct. We assume that we perceive reality as an accurate representation of what it is. But the problem is, is that the lens which we perceive is often warped, warped in the first place by genetics, tiredness, emotions, prior beliefs. So if we have this, this perception, I like to think of perception as like a set of glasses. So I have glasses, I almost wear them 100% of the time. And what glasses do is they help me see things clearly. We all have a set of glasses, a lens through which we view life. Maybe it's rose-colored glasses like you've heard of, the people that always see things with the positive. Maybe it's dark. But the idea is we every day have a lens through which we're filtering everything that comes at us. And so the question that I have is since we have this lens, how do I know if I'm seeing clearly? How do I know if I'm following God clearly? If I'm clouded, if I know that my lens through, the view the word, through how I view the world might be skewed, how do I learn to see clearly? So today, we're going to look at a character in the Bible named Elijah and his perspective and how God moved and changed his perspective. So we are in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible before Jesus, and we have this prophet named Elijah. Now, a prophet is somebody who gets messages from God and gives them to the people. So that was his whole job. I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to give it to the people. The problem was the people really weren't really great at listening, kind of like I am some days. So he, he shares these messages, and right now, the Israelites are actually not following God. They're following these prof, these, this God called Baal. They're following all these other gods, all these other ways. And so where we leave off in our story is Elijah's actually had one of the biggest victories of his ministry career. So he's been working for God. He's been faithful. He's seen supernatural miracles. He's seen rain come. He's seen people raised from the dead. He's seen uh, God move and provide food when there was no food. He's seen God move supernaturally. And he reaches this point where he has this huge victory where he goes up against 450 prophets of Baal. And it's him against 450. And God shows up with fire. Now, it's a really great story. We're not going into today. It's in 1 Kings 18. The Bible, super exciting. He's making fun of them the whole time, Elijah. He's like, where's your God? Is he going to the bathroom? Is he tired? Is he sleeping? And then God, in like seconds, goes, fire. So he had this huge moment where God shows up in this supernatural way. Should be the highlight. He should be on the mountain. He should be so excited. But then, this is where he finds himself. He actually finds himself on the run 
because of a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is the queen, well, King Ahab and Jezebel. So Jezebel essentially says, the gods will get you for this, and I'll get even with you. By this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any of the prophets. So this is where we pick up the story. He's had someone threaten his life. And you know what he does? Naturally, like we all do, he runs. He runs. He is so fearful and anxious. So we're going to actually look at verse 4. We're going to back up a bit. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough, Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. So this is what happens. He just had the greatest moment of victory. And now he's like, I'm done. I quit. I've had enough, Lord. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. This is too scary. This, I'm, this is too much. And he goes and he's like, essentially, he's like, kill me now. I want to die. Now, I think I want you to notice two things. One, he went into the wilderness. He ran to the wilderness. The second thing is that he reacted with strong emotions. So he says, I'm done. I think when I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I'm emotional, whether I'm frustrated, I'm angry, um, it's actually a sign that I'm starting to lose perspective. I'm not starting to see clearly. I gave an example. Um, I live with two roommates, and uh, we all deal with our emotions very differently. And I happen to be the crier in the household. And unfortunately, my roommate Megan has never lived with a crier before. Um, so this one particular day, I had a really terrible day. I don't even remember what happened, but I came home and I was exhausted, emotionally exhausted. I was physically exhausted. I was tired. I was like, you know what? I'm going to recharge. I'm going to make supper, sit down, watch a show, continue my night. I go and I make these, I'm making these tacos, like tostados, so they're these flat tacos. So I make them, I make them for Megan, we're going to have supper, we're going to watch a show. I proceed to sit down with my two tacos on the couch, and within 10 seconds of sitting down, I move and shift, and the plate flips over, and tacos go flying. <laughs> and suddenly there's tacos all over the floor, and I burst into tears. And then Megan is the most uncomfortable person in there in the moment, because she's like, I don't know what to do. We were just eating tacos. This is not a big deal. So I, like, scoop up the tacos, put the plate on, and head upstairs. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just done. But it's like, in that moment, is it about the tacos? No, they're just tacos. But I'm, my emotions are actually asking, like, they're, they're a signpost that something is clouding my perspective. So something's clouding his perspective. He's starting to lose hope. So what actually God, in his kindness, is this really cool, we don't have time to get into it, but God actually cares for him and meets him there and gives him some rest and gives him food and nourishes his soul. But then what I love is after he gives him rest, he actually sends him on a journey. So his rest is not just to stay there. He rests is to make a journey. So he goes on a journey, and God leaves him for 40 days to the Mount Horeb. Now, 40 days is a number of preparation. We're going to come back to that. But So God leads him to position him, to prepare him. And this is where we're going to take off. We're going to verse 8. He says, he got up and ate and drank his fill and set out. Nourished by his meal, he walked 40 days and nights all the way to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And when he got there, he crawled into a cave and he went to sleep. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, so Elijah, what are you doing here? He just asked him a question. And he comes back and he's like, so he just said, what are you doing here? 
I think God in his kindness, God knows why he's there. But I think I asked the question to myself, how did I get here? What am I doing here in this place? Why is he in the wilderness? The wilderness isn't where his calling is. The wilderness isn't where the prophet's called to be in this season. But what happens is our perspective will set our trajectory. So he fled and he let fear form his perspective. And it actually set the trajectory of where he went next. Where we're looking at is where we will go. So if I'm looking at my fear, my anxiety, my circumstances, I'm going to just circle and spiral and stay in my fear and my anxiety and my circumstances. I love this illustration. My mentor a few years ago, this has always stuck with me. She gave me this illustration when I was working through some struggles and working through some anxiety in my life and some fear. And she said, I want you to imagine that you're, there's a driving instructor and you're going driving and you're doing some lessons. And they take you to a parking lot and you're in the driver's seat and they put out cones. And they want you to go and just like go in and out of the cones. Following me? So what happens is the driver instructor, he doesn't go, you need to look at the cones. Make sure you keep the cones in the front of your sight at all times. They don't say that. The reason why, if you look at the cones, where are you going to steer the vehicle? Into the cones. I have to look beyond it. I have to look past it at the road in front of me to veer around the cones. And I think we do that with our circumstances. We kind of stare at them. We're like, okay, I'm going to like stare at this worry, this fear. I'm going to circle it. I'm going to go around and around and around again. And God's like, why are you looking at the cones? What's going to change by looking at the cones? They're not going to move, right? I have to look forward. When I look at my anxiety, when I see my circumstances only, it actually guides my next decisions. I will make all my decisions out of fear. I will make my decisions out of that anxiety. And I will miss and misstep because I need to see clearly. I love this saying from my previous pastor. Um, He said, you become what you behold. Whatever I'm looking at is what I will become. Um, I love this verse in Colossians. I didn't put up on this, or in Matthew, I didn't put up on the scene, but it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy and you will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If I'm filled with darkness, that's all I can see. But if I'm filled with light, so how do we see clearly? We can, so... He goes in, he knows, we know he's lost perspective, but the question is, like, how did he lose perspective? What got in the way of his race? He was running, and I think, it says in verse 10, this is where his attention's going. I'd like you to see how many times he says the word I. That's a lot. I have been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. What caused him to lose perspective? When his expectations didn't match the outcome, he lost perspective. So we can lose perspective when my expectations don't match the outcome of my life. I lose perspective. I'm going to give you a small example. Um, so I'm, I work as a, in a school, and I've been there a long time, so over 10 years. And I love what I do. I love teaching. But God called me. Um, God kind of opened the door for me to step into a role at Kingdom Church three and a half years ago. And so since then, I've been slowly peeling back my school hours to allow myself to be able to do both because right now I still feel like God has me in school and he has me here one of the big tensions has been my schedule so as a teacher my schedule is kind of at the mercy of my administrators I work in a very big school there's 50 staff members 
um, I teach a homeroom. And so this year I like laid it out. I'm like, hey, I want this schedule. I'm going to have these afternoons off and I can work for the church this much. See, I had expectations. I knew what I wanted. So I went to my admin. I'm like, can you do this? They're like, we're going to try. I get my VP and my VPs are amazing people. It's just the dynamic of 50 staff members. So I get in there. Schedule is not what I was hoping for. I got pieces everywhere. I'm kind of like at the school a lot. I'm like, okay, where's the big chunks of time so I can like go and like do church stuff. And I remember just like feeling defeated. Because I had expected, I was like, God, like I've been serving and I've been faithful to, to school and I've been faithful to church and I thought you were going to open up this door so I could focus and maybe achieve a little more balance. And I was like, this is what I expected. But when I didn't get it, it clouded my judgment. It clouded my perspective. And so we went to this conference, and I was uh, praying. I was just spending time with the Lord, and he kind of spoke to me. And you know when the Lord speaks to you, and you're like, uh-oh. And he kind of says, like, why do you feel so entitled to get the schedule you want? Like, I didn't ask him or pursue him in it. Like, I just felt entitled to it. Like, I expected it. And I think sometimes we're like, I think... He says, I have been jealous for the Lord. He's like, God, look at what I've done. I've been faithful. There was famine. There was fire. There was all these things. And I was faithful. I've served you, God. But he felt entitled to something in return. And with God, I think he forgot the mercy of God. Elijah was focusing on what he had done and not what God had done. And I think in my life, if I forget the mercy of God, if I forget the grace of God, if I forget how far I've come, I'm in trouble. Because it's by the grace of God, not by our own efforts. It's nothing I've done to get here. I need to be asking myself, what has God done in my life? Can I tell you what he's done in my life? He has taken me from places of anxiety and, and out of places of fear, like, if you had told me five years ago this is where I'd be, I'd be like, no way. Because it was the grace of God. I didn't do anything to earn it to be here. I didn't work to be here. Rather, God's faithfulness in my life, he just kept showing up time and time again. It says in Ephesians 1, if you ever want a great book of the Bible to study what it means to follow Jesus and learn about the grace of God, I just suggest Ephesians. But he talks about, even in just one chapter, he talks about what God, when Jesus came on a cross to die for my sins, and to give me grace, a new resurrection life. He gave me a solid foundation. He gave me a new identity. I'm now a daughter of the king. I'm not who I was. He restored my relationship with God. He gave me freedom. He gave me an inheritance. And so all these things, I didn't earn on my own. I didn't strive for it. I didn't work for it. I can't earn the righteousness and the grace of God. Rather, he just freely offered it to me. And I think Elijah forgot that. He forgot that everything we have is because of Jesus. My gift of singing is because of Jesus. My, my work, my mind, how my brain works, it's a gift of Jesus and his work in my life. And I think it's just giving back the credit where credit is due. And it's all for the glory of God. So that's the first area. He's kind of lost his perspective. His expectation as a match his outcome. But he needs to go back to the grace of God. We keep reading in verse 10. It says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. So he keeps going. He's like, These people, Lord, 
I think the sign we've lost perspective is when we generalize things. You never do that. You always are like that. I think when we talk in generalizations, we group things, and then we lose perspective. And I think his perspective of the people of Israel is like, these people, he just generalized. They're all evil. No one's following you. And he, he loops them together. And I think I was a, the last couple of weeks I've been catching myself. And I was finding that I was talking to some of my friends or people. And um, I work with the next generation a lot, whether it's like in school and things like that. And I just found myself, I was like, man, I'm not speaking very positively about the next generation. Because I think, you know what, every generation is kind of different. We're seeing like different, like, you know, there's millennials, there's boomers, there's Gen Z. And I think in my head, I think we have the tendency to think our generation is the best. <laughs> Me and my avocado toast and my really fancy coffees and um, terrible spending habits. Um, <laughs> um, boomers, you really got it locked down with the finances. Um, preach it. And I think, like, what I do is I look at this whole group of people and I'm like, God, look. Look at the next generation. Look at the former generation. What are they, what, like, and I complain, and I get negative. But here's the thing. I remember I was, I was saying something, because I was like, oh, how do I, like, teach and train and lead the next generation, but from this place of, like, negativity? And God just said, have you even asked me what I think of the next generation? Have you asked for my perspective? Have you asked for my view? And he really just took this moment of, like, the issue is I can't serve people I have a low view of. I can't serve them. I can't serve the generations above, below me, if I have a thinking that my generation is best and that I know it all. But rather, I need to lay that down and be like, God, what are you, what are you doing in the next generation? I just think, like, when I, I was actually asking a few people, I'm like, hey, what do you see God? What do you see is great about Gen Z? And you know what they said? They said they all care deeply. And you know what? That's, uh, that reflects the heart of God. Like, God caring deeply for people is his heart. And generous and deep, they carry that. And so I need to speak that over them, that they care deeply for people. And I think of the people gone forward, I think of my parents' generation, and, like, um, I think there's sometimes language that I hear them say, and I'm like, you know what, God's not finished with you yet. I need people that have made it. I need people who have gone before me. I need wisdom. I don't do things all the time the right way. And I think we kind of separate ourselves into, like, generations. But God's coming back for a multi-generational church. The bride of Christ is not young, old. It doesn't matter. It's multi-generational. And we need to be for each other. So I think even as we go into small groups, like, small groups are meant to be gener intergenerational. Because we need each other. I love when I get to spend time with people that have different life experience than me, different perceptions than me, different journeys than me. And I can learn from them, and I can hear them, and I can empathize with them. And, and so I just, um, I just remember that if, I, if I'm just looking at that lens of, like, how they're different, I can't serve. I can't serve them. I can't teach them. I can't lead them. And I think that's where he got stuck. He lost perspective. He was generalizing everything. I think the last kind of sign that we lose perspective, so we generalize. I think the last, one of the last ones is isolation. It sounds, it says, I am the only one left. Elijah feels alone. And when our perspective is off, we feel like we're the only ones left. It might sound like this. No one invites me to anything. No one else is struggling in their marriage. 
I'm always overlooked at my job. No one ever notices me. I'm not going to be able to change this. And I think, as a result, we isolate ourselves more and more and more. There's actually this cool part of your brain. It's called the reticular activating system. I'm kind of a nerd. I love the brain. But what it does, it actually, the reticular activating system, or RAS, if you want to call it, um, you just got to have a nickname so it sticks. Um, it, what it does is it filters the information that comes in, it, and it sifts it. It kind of sifts it through. It actually uses what we already believe to screen incoming information. So this is actually why we often get what we expect. Because what happens with the RAS, it's actually, you're actually training your brain to look for evidence which supports the belief and to filter out the experiences that don't. So follow me. If I, if I have the belief, no one's going to invite me. You know what's going to happen? Every single time I see a situation, whether it's Instagram, people interacting at church, people interacting in my workplace, I'm going to filter through, read into anything that supports that, and I'm going to throw out everything else that doesn't. So when I don't get invited to that one thing, I reinforce that belief. Oh, see, no one invites me. But then I forget about the three other times where I was invited because I filter it out because my belief is no one has invited me. And we isolate ourselves and we actually, like, we further those beliefs. So what happens is it's really important for us to start recognizing when I form a lens and a limiting belief that I'm alone, that my brain will actually look for information to support that. So if his reality in his mind, his perspective is, I'm alone, he's going to continue acting on that. But the, the thing is, it's like, this all sounds kind of hopeless, like if I'm going to reinforce beliefs. But here's the thing. Let's look at how God responds. So he's lost perspective. He's kind of lost his way. He's reinforcing some negative beliefs. But how did God respond? I love this. God responded by inviting him to an encounter. He invited him to an encounter says in verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there's a voice that came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah's stuck in this cave. He's stuck in this darkness. And God invites him to an encounter with his presence. There's the wind. There's the earthquake. There's the fire. And I think what happens is sometimes um, we kind of expect God to come in, like, with spectacular things. Like, will you come in the big worship moment? Will you come at this conference? Will you come in this big miraculous way? But what I love is God doesn't come with spectacular, like he doesn't come in terror. He doesn't come with fear. He comes with a gentle whisper. And how beautiful is that? How intimate is that? You know what a whisper means? A whisper means you have to draw close. A whisper means I can't stay at the back of the cave anymore. I have to draw in close to hear him. And so Elijah needed a moment where he drew close to God, where we draw close so we can hear the whisper, get out of the loudness and the noise, and God, once again, just so kindly asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Just that still, quiet voice calling you back, saying, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm 
present. And so God meets him in that space. And what I love is God actually, he actually repeats the exact same thing. I've been jealous for the Lord, these people, I'm so alone. And I think what God, God knows what Elijah's going to do, but he wants to give him an opportunity to unburden his heart. To say, like, you know what, this is what I'm feeling. These are the emotions that I have. Now, emotions, like, if I feel these things, the worst, I, I, sometimes your temptation is to stuff them down. Right? I just stuff them down. But Lord, was, he's actually saying, like, hey, bring them to me. Tell me how you're feeling. Bring your emotions to me. Bring me your frustrations. Bring me the concerns that you have. And he, he actually takes time to let Elijah unburden his heart. But what I love about God's response is he doesn't leave him there. He doesn't leave him in his emotions, in his mess, in his muck. But in says, he says, God says, go back the way you came through the desert to Damascus. God doesn't leave him there to keep the same perspective, but rather he actually takes time to reset his purpose and his perspective. And we're going to see that. So I think like purpose, we kind of make it this big, and we have all of a purpose in our life, but I think purpose is walking day by day in step with the Holy Spirit. And if I walk every day step by step with the Holy Spirit, he's going to eventually lead me to my purpose, right? My purpose is in following him. And so what he's saying is, when he's saying go back to Damascus, he's saying go back to the thing I've called you to. Let me reset your perspective. This encounter wasn't to remove Elijah from the circumstances, but it was actually to shift his perspective back to his purpose. I think we often want God to change the circumstances, we're like, God, can you just, like, change this frustrating job that I'm in? Can you change this situation? And God's like, actually, I want to change you. I want to change your heart. Because here's the thing. If I, I can have a situation, and some situations, like, they're unsafe, you know, get out. But used to mostly of our frustrating situations, like, I'm frustrated with this job. I've been in this job for too long. Lord, get me out. But God's like, actually, if there's heart stuff there, I want to change your heart. Because what you'll do is you'll just take that to the next job. If I have bitterness, unforgiveness, I'll just take it to the next job. But rather, God's like, I want to change your heart. One commentary said, God gave Elijah something to do. He needed a task to focus on so he could avoid excess introspection. He needed to stop looking at himself and his own admittedly difficult circumstances. Someone's trying to kill him. It's a pretty hard circumstance. I've never had someone try to kill me, so I can imagine it's quite challenging. But he needed to get on with what God wanted him to do. So temporary detours are not meant to be our permanent destinations. So if you're in that season, you're like, I feel like I'm circling. This is not meant to be your permanent destination. This is not meant where we're supposed to stay. He actually is in a moment where he's passing through. He's passing through. Sometimes I need to leave introspection behind and get started on the next right thing in front of me. Just the next right step. What's the last thing God's called me to do? It seems like a strange thing. Okay, Elijah, go anoint a king. So he says, it says in this verse, it says, when you get there, anoint Haziel, make him king over Aram, then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, make him king over Israel, finally anoint Elisha. So God's like, go anoint, go anoint, go anoint. But what he's actually saying is God's actually giving, he's actually zooming out and giving Elijah a bigger perspective. Because anointing has to do with legacy. Anointing has to do with who's coming next. I think Elijah thought that his job was to, like, bring repentance and the whole, the whole country will turn to God. But maybe his calling was just to prepare the way for others. Maybe that was his purpose. Maybe his purpose was, like, I'm here for the next person. 
because they need me to be following Jesus so they can learn from me. And I think God reset, we just took some time to reset his perspective. God showed him how his King Ahab and Jezebel wouldn't be in power forever, but God had a plan for a new king, and this would give hope for the people of Israel. God reset his perspective. He zoomed him out. He didn't let him stay, because if I stay in the circumstance, like, nothing's changed yet. But God's saying, like, okay, let me, let me lift you, let me help you look up, look above it, and see what I'm doing. God resets his perspective. It says in, in verse, it says, meanwhile, I'm preserving for myself 7,000 souls, the knees that haven't bowed to the God Baal, and the mouths that haven't kissed his image. So his perspective, God sets him a new purpose. He's like, go do the next right thing. But he also resets his perspective as he adjusts what he's seeing. If you look at it, because he says, I'm the only one left. God's like, no, you're not. There's 7,000 people that are following Jesus that have been faithful. And I think we do that too. We're like, I'm the only one. But we need to ask ourselves, am I rooted in God's reality Am I just seeing what I want to see? But God's reality is he's not alone. I think God's reality is um, that there's people that we're meant to walk and do life with. He actually gave him Elisha to walk beside him. Elijah's perspective was full of anxiety and temporary realities, but he was reading with the eyes of unbelief, and his imagination was leading him rather than the facts of the case. What am I feeding? Am I feeding my perspective? Am I feeding my fears? Or am I leading them and trusting in the word of God and what God has said about me and his reality? I love this. It says in John chapter 14, it says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's this idea that in our lives, you know, we can feel so alone. But I have to go back. What has God promised? What does Jesus promise? And it says in the word that when Jesus died on the cross and he resurrected, it was a good thing because then the Holy Spirit could come and dwell inside of me. In the Old Testament, they had to go to mountains. They had to go through prophets. They had to go through all these like hoops to get into the presence of God, to hear from God. And God's saying, you know what? Actually, the Holy Spirit, when you decide to follow Jesus, comes and is sealed and lives inside of you and dwells among you. It says the word dwells among you. And I have someone to walk through life with. I'm not alone. I don't have to make decisions alone. I don't have to go through day by day alone. I actually have a Holy Spirit who's just waiting to be asked and waiting for us to draw close and say, hey, will you follow? Will you follow my Holy Spirit? When I feel like my emotions or my perspective is lost, I need to go back. What is the Holy Spirit doing? As one commentary said, um, this showed Elijah that his quiet ministry over the years actually bore more fruit than the spectacular ministry at Mount Carmel. The quiet moments of faithfulness will always bear more fruit than the spectacular big moments. The quiet, faithful, I think we look and we're like, okay, God, I need a, a really big encounter with you. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to go to this conference. I'm going to go after this thing. And God's like, what about the day-to-day? -day? I'm here with you to walk with you. I'm in your heart. I'm in your life. I dwell among you like every day you have access. Every day we have access to the presence of God because the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And I think um, we're so sometimes striving to be transformed in spaces when God wants to transform us just day to day and wherever we find ourselves. In 
in Colossians, so I need to reset my perspective, and I need to see how God sees things. It says in Colossians 3, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Look up, be alert, see things from his perspective. We need an internal perspective of what God is doing in our lives and in our communities and in the world. Elijah couldn't see what God was doing because he was so focused on himself. So focused on my needs, my job, and that actually forms a limiting perspective. I can't see clearly. I think of it like this. When I think stuck in the limiting perspective, I'm wearing these rose-colored glasses and I will view all things through this lens. I didn't get the job, so I'll never get the job. This person in church hurt me. Everyone in church will hurt me. And that's become how I see and view. But what I need to do is I need to trade my lens for his. Because he says, don't go be absorbed with what's going on around you, with these circumstances, with I and me. And instead, look up. Look up. What the Holy Spirit does is he invites us to take off the glasses and instead view his reality, to see things from his perspective. A lot of us are so stuck in my growth, my needs, and we camp in a point in our life where we're just supposed to be passing through. The beautiful thing is that God actually created our brains. So if our brains actually look for patterns, the great thing is our brains actually um, have this thing called neuroplasticity. And what it does, it just means that your brain is actually able to create new pathways, which means we can actually, when it says renew your mind in the Bible, it's an actual thing that can happen. They can see it on a brain scan. That when your brain is renewed, it says 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. They saw an increased activity in social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. And it also impacted your frontal lobe, which is responsible for decision-making. 12 minutes of prayer every day, eight weeks. The reality is when we follow Jesus is we don't have to worry about, do I have to change these pathways? But rather, when I'm looking at him, he just changes me. He changes the pathways in my brain. He gives me new ways of viewing things, new ways of thinking. The reason we need to look up is we need to see things from his perspective so he can change our attitudes and our hearts. One of the most memorable moments in my spiritual life took place in my early 20s. Um, I got my first teaching job. I moved to Drayton Valley, all on my own, didn't know anybody, got an apartment, and it was a very hard year. New city, new church, new friends, new job. And I just remember I was struggling week after week. And just like, um, the way my emotions can go is they can go like super low, and they can go super high. And so I just remember, like, God, I'm so frustrated. I feel so stuck in this, like, I, I don't know what you're doing, and I, I don't know why you called me to this school, and I don't know why you left. I loved my church, and why did I have to leave? And, and God just invited me into this special space where every Sunday night, um, I kind of just felt compelled. I can't even tell you why I did it. Looking back, I don't know how it happened, but I would just come home to my apartment every Sunday night from visiting my family, and I would take some time and clean, and then I would put on a worship service. 
And I would just worship, and I would practice looking at Jesus. And I would practice spending time with him, and I would worship. And it was in my room, and no one knew. And I did this week after week. And when I look back at that time, after that year, the transformation that happened in my heart with anxiety, with relationships, with my identity, I don't even know how it happened. I just, like, woke up, and I'm like, my goodness, like, something's different about me. Because he just transformed my heart by being in his presence, by looking to him. And I think so much we think we're going to be changed by just single moments. But God's like, you know what, I want to change you day by day in incremental little faithful steps. And you know what, I think, like, you know what, for me it looked like Sunday nights in my room. For you, does it look like your car? putting on some worship music? Does it look like listening to some the word of God in the morning? Does it look like before you go to bed, taking 10 minutes to pray? And I don't do it because I'm holy. I do it because I'm not holy. Because I need the presence of God. I need him to transform my heart and my attitudes and the bitterness in my heart. And I need, I need him. I need his perspective every single day. And that's what God's inviting us in here. When he asks us to trade his lens, he's like, you don't have to see things the way you've been seeing them all this time. I can show you a new way to look at things. I can show you what I'm doing behind the scenes. Your presence, his presence is with you. I just invite you to stand this morning. Maybe today you're... You're like, I've been so stuck in myself and the I, I, me, me, and I can't see clearly anymore. And what God is waiting for, he's not, he's not waiting to come at you with condemnation or fear or anxiety. He's just saying, will you come close? Will you draw close? Will, let you, will you let me speak to you? And he's you're just waiting because he wants to meet with you. every eye just close and bow your head if that's you today and you're like you know what I need to see things in a new way I need to trade my lens for his I've been seeing things from my own point of view my own perspective I've been living in bitterness or I've been living in anxiety or I've been living in this just so stuck in myself but I need to go to where he's called me I need to see what he's doing I just invite you to lift your hand this morning I'm gonna pray for you thank you I'm going to pray for you in a sec. Now, if you're here today and you're like, what are you talking about with this lens of seeing things as God sees them? I just want to let you know that there is a God who sent his son to die on a cross so that you could find hope and freedom. So that you don't have to stay where you are. That you don't have to walk through life alone. That when you resurrected from the grave, that you resurrected and gave you new life. So if you decide that you'd like to follow Jesus, if you want to see what this life is like, trading in your perspective for his, I'd like to decide to follow Jesus today. I just invite you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, to lift up your hand. And three, two, one. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you For your sacrifice. I thank you that you don't leave us where we are, but God, that you draw close. 
and you speak to us that we're sons, we're daughters, we're loved, we're known, we're seen. And God, will you just trade our, our lens today? We want to see what you see. We want to view people as you view them, Jesus. And God, help us to follow you every day, one step at a time, following your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we just, we love you. We praise you. In your mighty name, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to that message. If you want more information or made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.